on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. I don't just want you to make more money by working harder or working more. I want you to make more money because you implemented systems, you had a better process, you you did something right. that made you more efficient, right? And that efficiency allows you to scale at a more rapid pace. So raise the prices. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? Back again with you, Chaz Wolf. This week, my guest, Jerome Myers, breaks down so many life pieces. I'm I'm just... <laughs> I had such a blast with this guy. We not only relate in the real estate world, he's a successful real estate entrepreneur and has um so many properties that he is um he is cash flowing from, but he has a a perspective on life and his coaching program outside of that that literally brings people to their purpose and I just love everything about this show and I hope that you walk away a better person. Grab that pen and paper. It's coming down. All right, everybody. Chaz Wolf, I'm your host, Gathering the Kings. I've got Jerome Myers on the King stage today. What's up, brother? How you doing? Man, Chaz, so good to be in with you today, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Grateful yeah. to be with you and the opportunity to share with you and your community. Absolutely, man. So glad that you're here. And um, I'd love to dig into your story. Of course, you got you got referred by a really good friend of mine. And so I already know or knew even before our off air conversations that this was going to be a good talk because you came highly recommended. But even in our intro calls, even just a couple minutes ago, we were just like instantly, every time I've talked to you, we just get right into the to the deep stuff, which I just love. It's super real. But before we get in, what kind of business do you have? Yeah, so it's two pronged and people are like, man, you do everything. But I really simplify it, Chaz, and I say I'm a developer of people and places. And so we run a multifamily investing portfolio with a small group of buddies, partners, friends, whatever you want to call it. And then I do a ton of coaching and masterminding with people who are either exiting corporate America or already left and out in the wild making it happen. That's awesome, man. Love both of those uh, fields. So we're going to have plenty to talk about. Probably need to do two or three shows with you. Um, I'm open but, to it. Yeah, right? Uh, okay, well, so my first question is always the same, and I like to make sure that I ask it every single show because I think it really kicks us off with some good mindset. And so basically, it's at this level. I mean, you, you just said that you're helping a ton of people through real estate. You've, you've been successful on the coaching side. Now you're helping other people be successful. But at this level, like, why do you keep pushing? You know, I, I've got this silly mission, Chaz. It's to free 100 people from work they're not passionate about. And I don't count, right? I have no idea how many we've helped. I have no idea how many we're going to help. But every day I get up and I look in the mirror and there's this decal in my mirror that says, are they free yet? And that literally is what life is about. So 
the real estate is there because most people don't know how to set up a recurring income business or the subscription and they don't really brand themselves as salespeople. So they get kind of squeamish about having to chase the transaction. And then on the coaching side, it's like, well, do you see your worth? Do you see your value? Do you see what the marketplace will reward you for? And if I can help them understand that and help them put their plan together so that they can perform against that and then scale it to a place where they are doing numbers that would be commensurate with whatever they would be selling their time for if they were in a job that they weren't passionate about but paid well, I think I've earned my breath for the day. Yeah, I love that. First off, helping others with two prongs. I, I love even just the clarity there of creating passive income and then also even just freeing them from their active income because they are separate. Uh, and you can have both for whatever period of time that you'd like, I guess, um, but freeing them from that from that slavery, if you will. And then the fact that you say that it, it earns your breath. I love that. I think that that's super tied to purpose. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, in fact, I even posted this morning on Facebook saying, why do you think that people lose track of their purpose or their why? And you remind yourself every morning, it sounds like, to to earn the breath. Yeah. And I, I think your your question is one that most people don't tend to ponder because they're on autopilot, right? They're just going through yeah. the monotony of the day-to-day and they're not being intentional with the way that they're spending their time, which is extremely unfortunate. But if you're not doing something you're passionate about, then you're just trudging through the activities because you know that they translate into somebody potentially giving you a paycheck two weeks right. from now or a month from now. Yeah, exactly. Even as an entrepreneur, right? Like the mundane pieces of marketing, sales, client fulfillment, repeat. And if you can get caught in that and you become more reactionary, then you're susceptible to putting out fires all day long. And now you're susceptible to burnout and just getting through the drudge and you lose track of the the thing that's written on your mirror. How did you know to write that on your mirror to even begin with? That seems so simple, but like, how did you know that? How'd you learn that? Yeah. So a lot of people do vision boards and I, I don't do those. I, I, I encourage people to do vision mirrors because the quicker that you can see yourself with the things that you desire most, the quicker you actually get to the place. And so when you think about the vision board activity in general, people are cutting out these pictures or putting all these things there and they see them as reminders that this is what you're supposed to be doing, but there's still a disconnect from my perspective. But when you can see yourself in real time with the things, whatever they are, it can be people smiling. It can be the car, whatever you desire, right? I don't get to decide what you desire. The subconscious and that gap between where you are and where you want to be begins to shrink. And then you believe or your belief goes up and that belief leads to activity. And then that activity tends to create what you actually want to have. And so for me, it was, let me get myself in it in real time. And for everybody that actually goes through and does the activity, they see this rapid acceleration towards the target. Yeah, because it becomes real. And to your point, um, it's a connectivity. It's just like muscle uh, mind connection when you're working out, right? You're focused on exactly what you're doing in that moment. You're imagining even what it looks like built up. I love how you even extended the the vision board to non-material things, because I think that that's, you know, material can really only take you so far. The nice car, the nice house, the stuff. And some people aren't even wired that way. Um, 
So I think it has to go deeper than that, which you've already pointed out. And Jazz, uh, it's not your listeners, right? But there's a lot of people who say they're not wired that way. And it's just because they don't have it. Yeah, right? that's true. It, so they shrink their dreams or they shrink their lifestyle to yeah. whatever they have. Because the thought of being uncomfortable in order to get the thing that they truly do desire, right? Like, I got a stupid stupid idea, right? I, I want this Lamborghini Aventador. I, I want one pretty bad. And there there will come a time where I park one in the garage. And, and maybe not, right? Maybe it's just the option to be able to have one for me to be able to say, yeah, I could go do that if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are the same thing to me, right? Sure, yeah. But there's a lot of people who just shrink their dream and say, you know, I'd rather have a beater, right? When I went to the book fair, I didn't care about books. When I was in third grade, I wanted to get the poster with the car on it, right? And it was never a beater, Chaz. And so I, I just... <laughs> yeah. I just challenge people to actually dare to dream again. Like if you could suspend your disbelief and you knew that you could not fail and you knew you could have whatever lifestyle that you wanted, right? that that you took the chance and actually did that. Like, what would that be instead of saying, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy with whatever this thing is that I already have, because I'm not convinced that that's what you would truly ask for. If you knew that you could have anything, the fact of the matter is you can. What do you think is the difference? You you pointed it out and you said it's the same thing. And I, I agree with you. I think that to the most people out there that they're different. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. When you said they're the same thing, whether to be able to go buy the Lamborghini or to be able to have the option to go buy the Lamborghini, where does that mindset come from? Because for me, it's the option. Like I don't need the actual Lamborghini to be at that place, like you said, but to know that I can go buy, buy a Lamborghini cash right now, is that's all I needed. So on your side, what have you seen from the actual like going and doing it or just having the option if I wanted to? Is that is there really a difference there or is it the same thing? For me, there is no difference, right? Because I get to choose, right? I think right. I choose are the second two most powerful words in combination in the planet, right? The first one is I am. The second one is I choose. And so I get to choose how I'm going to allocate this resource. Right. I can allocate it to retirement savings. I can allocate it to consumption. I can allocate it, but I get to choose that. And now when I choose this thing, I don't get to choose the consequences of that choice, but I do get to choose how I allocate the resource. Right. And that is you you talked about it before we started recording. Right. That's ruling, right? That's ruling well as a king. Yeah. Your your decisions on how you allocate your resources and the two that well there's really three that i think everybody pays attention to time talent and treasure your allocation of those dictates the life that you have and i'm not i don't know man i I watch a lot of people on the fire kick right and they're going to shrink their life to nothing so that they can be free from having to go somewhere and do the thing because their time's their most valuable resource but I don't understand the lifestyle that they end up with. I I like nice things. And it's kind of blasphemous in today's society to say that, sure. but yeah. I like nice things and I I think I always will and I don't <laughs> think I ever want to be in a space where I don't ever want to be in a space where I I question whether or not it's okay for that. But I think some yeah. people are challenging us on whether or not it's okay 
But Chaz, I'll tell you, man, I, I really like what you got going here. And I, I can't think of a king who didn't have nice things. I think there's so many different angles of why, as you say, have nice things has been put down. But generally speaking, it comes from, I think, a like a lack mindset, right? Like if, if I have nice things, then that means you can't. Or if I spent my money on the Lamborghini, then that means that there were people that I could have helped. Right. Whether we go super spiritual religious or whether we just go, you know, super environmental and, and we just want to help the masses. There's this there's this lack mentality that that stems from or that that perpetuates if, if I have, then you don't. And as opposed to us both being able to reach in and grab whatever it is that we are capable of gathering. And so last kind of philosophical thought here before we kind of transition a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to know what are your thoughts on that? Like, obviously, here we are men of two different backgrounds, men of two different cities. Uh, we come from two different places, but we have, we we're Kings. Like what, like how do you, how does someone from a different background with maybe not much given to them or from a different culture, like how does someone reach in and not have lack mentality? Well, it's a choice, right? It's perspective and it's always going to be perspective. You know, I, I trace my lineage and as silly as it may sound, I'm just a descendant of a Pharaoh. Right. So literally paternal, paternal side, not maternal side, paternal side. I'm a descendant of a pharaoh. So when you say king, yes, like literally bloodline, that's that's a real thing for me now. All right. The difference between scarcity and abundance mindset is the belief that it's foundationally what you said. If I have, that means that you can't. And I think the game is infinite. I think it's an infinite game. And I don't think everybody wants the same thing. Now, we may be competing for the same resource for a finite amount of time, right? If I'm buying an apartment deal and there's three other people who want the same deal, only one of us is going to get that deal. right? But is that the ecosystem normally? It's not. In fact, the better you do as an apartment owner, if you're in my general area, the higher rents you charge, the more customer satisfaction you have, the better for me. Because when you do eventually sell, your thing's going to trade for a higher number. You are going to have higher rents as you're generally operating it, which means I should be able to match mine to yours, which should grow mine. And so while there there are these very finite periods of competition and uh, call it market share grabbing. Right. Uh, it's not the normal. It's not status quo. It's temporary. And I think if you truly know who you're serving, why you're serving them, you won't ever run out of resources. Does the bird or the squirrel or the ant worry about if they're going to have something to eat tomorrow? Right. No, no, not at all. All right. So let me use this question or this answer that you just gave to us from this question to transition, because I think that it makes a lot of sense. What you just said is that there's the, the prospect pool is big enough for all of us. Okay. But even more so for the listener who's at the six figure mark, trying to get to the seven figure mark, right? That's the emphasis of the show. And so even more so for the person who isn't at the million dollar mark yet, there should never be this thought of like, Oh man, like there's not enough. Like to me, a million dollars is like, bloop, like one little drop in the bucket, right? Like you can go do, I heard this a long time ago off of a, a book is that you could do $10 million in the market. You could literally pull out $10 million right now today. 
nobody would know. Nobody would notice. You pull out $100 million out of the marketplace today, nobody would notice. Yeah. And it's right? not and so like marketplace. <laughs> like you could just pick an industry and do that. And then yeah. like, oh. nobody would know. Right. So, okay. So if we, <laughs> if we dial that thought all the way down to somebody who isn't even doing a million dollars in sales yet, not even, not even making a million bucks, doing a million dollars in sales for them, thinking back to your journey, if you can just can rewind it back to before you got there, taking this mindset that we're talking about more so about maybe when you started, like, how did you propel yourself into, okay, so I know that there's abundance. I know that you know, someone else's winning doesn't mean that I can't. And so how did you get to that million dollar mark from that mindset? You know, what's crazy, Chaz, is when I dropped out of corporate America, I resented my ability to earn. Ooh, okay. In fact, I, I, I did everything I could to push money away. It was like, I don't need that, right? This mindset that you speak of, of, no, it, it, I'm just doing it for the good of helping people and, sure. you know, something will work out. But if you're having impact, your income's going to reflect it. Yeah, Those two things go together. They're not mutually exclusive. And if you think impact happens long-term without income, just know that you're going to be going to ask somebody who prioritizes income to fund your business. Right. Right? Yeah. So now... To go to that next level, once I realized that, once I shifted that and realized that if you're going to have impact, income's going to come. And if you have income, then you should have impact with the income. And that those things are, they're almost synonymous in my language now, Mm -hmm. right? I think they're interdependent. When I accepted that, when I accepted that I was a good person by earning and that I could do more with the earnings than somebody who didn't have the same heart as me because the money's just an amplifier, right? It's a megaphone. Mm-hmm. It allows you to impact and influence more things as your influence income increases. Sure. So knowing that it made me feel like I had this obligation. I felt pulled to do more bigger and, you know, everybody yeah. has their different opinions about Grant Cardone. Cardone. Yeah. But let's be clear. When he says you have a duty and an obligation to help everybody that you possibly can and to charge them something less than the value that you're offering to them right? so that you know in your heart of hearts that you gave them the upper hand in the transaction. Right. How could you not go out and do that? Right. You're being selfish yeah. if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You're being 100%. selfish if you don't. So let's let's take that mindset that you said that you grabbed a hold of. And once you're able to grab a hold of that, then that like equated some practical steps in your business to get growth. And so once you have that, so let's just take an example of, you know, you're in real estate or someone's, um, you know, in the trades or, you know, someone's got a digital marketing agency, whatever the, the practicality of their business is. They have that mindset of, okay, the more that I serve, the more people that I help, usually means, and it should to your saying, that more money I make. Because if I provide value and I charge for my services less than the value that I'm providing, then it's a good deal for them. Therefore, people like what I'm giving them. Therefore, they refer. Therefore, there's a good name. There's goodwill. And my business should grow. Practicality, what does that look like in one of these businesses? Like taking that mindset, what's the next step? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just use the real estate because I think it's the easiest one for folks to go, right? And so our first deal was 23 units. 
we imputed a huge amount of value into the deal. We made tremendous investments, roofs, parking lots, redid the interior, tuck walls out, added half baths, right? We did all this stuff. When we purchased that property, the rent was six ninety five. When we got done with our improvement plan, the rent was eleven ninety five. Now we're up to twelve ninety five, right? And so we added value to the lives of the people who decided to live at that property. And because of that, we were able to double the revenue on a monthly basis that that property was generating, right? We, we included internet, we included water. We, we gave them services that they weren't able to get in other places. Now, sure. was the property performing optimally when it was renting at 695? Absolutely not. Right. Their sewage was backing up. Trash wasn't getting picked up. We can go down the list. Right. Crime ridden, prostitution, drugs, like all of the stuff was happening there. But we were able to come in and uplift that community. That for me is you go in, you do the work, you roll up your sleeves, you get your hands dirty, you create value in the enterprise. Right. That should increase the revenue. And out of that revenue, as long as you maintain your operating expenses, that net operating income should increase the valuation of the business, right? Yeah. And I think that's what everybody's trying to figure out. How can we grow revenue? How can we decrease expenses so we can take the net and use that to grow our business's value? Now, what you do in order to charge more is the place where I think you can be the most creative. And that's truly understanding what the folks in the marketplace want and not just any folks, but the specific avatar, right? I think it always breaks down to a specific person that you want to help because it's not really a business. It's not really all of these customers over here. It's Bob who is working at the hospital downtown. They're not ready to buy because they're a resident. They make $60,000 a year. They like to party on the weekends downtown. So they wanted to be walkable and you go down the list of the person that you're building this thing for. Sure. And you hopefully understand some of their philosophical challenges. And if you understand all that, then you can put together something and present it to them that they're going to be excited and feel like they're getting a bargain to do commerce with you. Yeah. Yeah. Is that helpful? Oh, a hundred percent. I was just having a conversation with a client of mine, a mastermind client. He's an insurance. He's trying to grow his agency team. And his mindset shift is shifting from how do I sell insurance? We all, I mean, it's a needs analysis, you know, life insurance, health insurance, PNC, whatever it is to now I have to sell the opportunity to other agents. And so even for him, he's not selling necessarily anything, but he had to create Okay, who am I looking for? I'm looking for somebody who's already in insurance. I don't want the guy that's not in insurance yet. I want the guy who's already in insurance or whatever. Or maybe he, maybe he wants the guy that's not insurance. He wants to train him from, from zero. The point that you're making though, which I think is applicable to every listener right now is if you know exactly who it is that you want to help, then because you understand who they are, you understand their frustrations or their, their lack or what they what they need. So then, then you can provide that in your offer. In this case, it was an upgraded um, living space with the other extra half bath or new appliances or the extra amenities that weren't involved before. And so that made it easier for them. If they live here, then these things are included. I don't have to go worry about them. So I'm happy to pay the extra money because it it was rolled into the deal. It's value, right? It's all about value creation, my friend. Okay. So along the way, maybe, maybe it's on the real estate side or the coaching side. Give me an example of as you're building, making decisions in the business. I want to try to go good and bad. 
right? Like yeah. give us the good stuff. Like someone's got their pen and paper and they're taking notes. What was a good decision that you made along the way that would be helpful for them to also do? Yeah. Raise your prices, right? Like without question, each time I raise prices, people get bigger results. The vast majority of people that I work with last year doubled their revenue, right? Or sure. doubled their transaction volume or whatever the KPI, whatever the key performance metric was, they doubled it, right? And then they took more time off because right. that for me is the thing that signals if they're doing the right thing. I don't just want you to make more money by working harder or working more. I want you to make more money because you implemented systems, you had a better process, you you did something right. that made you more efficient, right? And that efficiency allows you to scale at a more rapid pace. So raise the prices because more than likely, you're not serving the client at the level that you're able or even capable of serving them at because of the constraints of your pricing model. Yeah, And so you, you can raise your price a small amount and deliver so much more value because you're able to outsource this or include something else in the package or do something to make them feel amazing. And for you, the incremental cost increase versus the client loyalty or um, <laughs> I, I like to send people gifts, Chaz, when, when they don't expect it, right? Just a box pops up on their door and the conversation that they have on the backside of that, when they go show somebody what happened leads to referrals yeah, without you asking for it. Right. Totally. Or if you, you go somewhere and they have an amazing experience, like we went to St. Lucia back in March uh, and people come back and talk about that experience. It's an opportunity for you to differentiate yourself without absorbently charging the folks and delivering value or delivering them an experience that they wouldn't have got for themselves. I, I love the increase. How do you balance what you just were saying there at the end of going, okay, first off, the, the six-figure owner is terrified to raise their price, right? Because <laughs> they're just like, they're in survival mode. They think I just got to take every job possible or every client possible. So hearing you say that just blows their mind, probably. So that's number one, like address that first. And then, and then we'll get to the, how do you balance the value with the like, charging too much, not enough value piece, but how do you, how do you, how do you confront the mindset of, ah, but if I charge more, I'll lose all my opportunities. Yeah. I think you're in scarcity mindset. If you feel that way, I think that's the first piece, right? If you feel like you're getting every penny, every coin that you can out of the customer based on the service that you're providing, I question whether or not your service is delivering as much value as you think it is. Mm. And if you take a step back and really question whether or not you're giving your client all the value that you can, or if you, and that's probably the wrong way to look at it. Let's look at it this way. How much more value could you give your client if you had an incremental, very small incremental increase in the fee? What else could you do for them that they would value tremendously? that doesn't cost you as much as to deliver as they would see it as being valued to their life. Right. And I think if you spend enough time there, you get really, really excited about what's possible for you in your business. For instance, I, I had a client who was like, man, I'd really like for you to record our sessions and then send a, send me a highlight 
kind of a kind of a highlight reel of the session so I don't have to review the full session. Right. And that would help me with notes, that would help me with action items, that would help me with pick the thing. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I went back to the team. I was like, hey, how much how long would it take for you to do this? And then if you factor that into the price, for him, it wasn't even a 15% increase. And he's going to save hours of his hours. life, right? And so yep. let's just make it, you know, easy math for the sake. And these aren't real numbers, but just for the sake of it. Let's say you charge $100 for the thing and you increase it by $10, right? So $110. Right. And this person values their time at $50 an hour for the sake of being really low. And if there's four calls and we increase this thing, that's an extra $40 a month, but their time is $50. So their right. net is like, I'm, I'm not good at math, but I think it's like $160. Right. So what, what, you're, what you're breaking down here for the listener as they're taking notes is find what you can do for the client that's in synergy with your current product that provides this over an abundance of value to them. So it, it might be different for each one of your clients, but you might have a Rolodex of two, three, four extra things that you can into the package that then brings value to this person. But because you're doing it at a efficient way or a scalable way, it doesn't cost hard cost you that much, but the value to them is so much more and it's a way that you can genuinely grow your revenue and they actually appreciate it. Yeah. And for the new person who comes in, right? Maybe you charge them 125 or $150 an hour for the exact same service because you found out that this product, this, this upgrade, this, this optional service is really valuable. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Tell us about a bad decision. What have you done along the way? That was just, oof. Gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned my resentment for my ability and my capacity to earn in the beginning. And so I would do things and then insist that people not do anything in return. Right. It was like, oh, I'm just being generous. And what I've learned on the backside of that is you immediately create an unhealthy relationship when you do that. Right. Relationships are supposedly mutually beneficial. In the moment that you create a situation where people aren't willing or able to give and receive, you put yourself in a space where the relationship is guaranteed to create resentment on at least one side of the equation. You're also putting the person that you're serving in a place where they can be in this spot of learned helplessness, where it's like, oh, well... You never need anything from me. And so for all of the six-figure earners and even early seven-figure earners, yeah, they probably live here. They live in a space where people only bring problems to them to solve because, you know, they are usually when they they're look the to one. the left and the right, they're at the peak, right? They're, they don't even have anybody to talk to and they feel bad telling anybody that they're experiencing any discomfort because, well... Their life is so perfect from the outside looking in. Sure. And there, there's these constant withdrawals from the relationship bank account with no deposits. And eventually, Chaz, you mentioned it earlier, they end up being disappointed. They end up being burnt out. Right. They end up being in a space where they, they don't feel as worthy or 
as capable as they would if they actually had people pouring into their cup. Yeah, that's, I mean, I can't tell you from even just a personal perspective of what you said was true for me. And I'm sure it was for you for a period of time there as well. That's why you're saying it. But I think everybody, to your point, kind of goes through that period of time in the six or even, as you said, the early sevens. It was for me, it was the early sevens. Like I I was very capable and I could be in five places at once. And most people can't. And so I was, I was the king, but not really. I was still very much a warrior, very much in the stage of doing. It was probably more ego than anything of like, I I wanted to be the go-to, right? I wanted to be the guy with all the answers as opposed to being okay that it went past me onto somebody else. And, and then somebody else was just as worthy or good in that moment as I. And so I think that's so practical, especially when you think about becoming a king in business. Really what that means is that you, the king might be well known, but the, the king has a whole team. Like we, <laughs> we have to understand that there's, there's layers and layers and layers of how the, the kingdom works. And, um, but you can't raise up people. You can't hire people and raise up leaders. And you can't do this if you're trying to be the guy. And if I can pick you know, just a couple of things to get to seven figures, that would be one of them is that you can't be the guy. You got to get out of that way and you need to bring on other people. And so I love the perspective that you've given there. What do you think is important for the guy or gal who's stuck in that place? They're a perfectionist. They think they're the only ones. They don't want to be, but they want to be. Like they're, it's self-sabotage, really. They, they talk about the drama of, I'm the only one. But they, they they just keep putting themselves in that position over and over and over. How do they break that cycle? Yeah, they've got to get out of their own way. Here's the thing. If somebody can do it 80% as well as you, they're probably going to do it better than you because you're a firefighter, right? There, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it right now. You're a firefighter, and you can only pay attention to things for a finite amount of time before you have to move to the next thing. And as soon as you turn your attention from that thing to the other thing, that ball begins to drop. And there are some rubber balls in your business that can bounce and hit the ground and they won't break. And then there's glass ones. And the moment that you forget which one's rubber and which one's glass, Mm. you're going to drop a glass one and you're going to spend the time trying to repair that. And you may not be able to repair that glass, but the rubber balls, the ones that can bounce anyway, what if you delegate that and if it doesn't work out, there's time to recover and fix that while you spend your time with the glass balls. And then after somebody shows you that they can juggle the rubber balls pretty well, why don't you move them over and give them a glass ball? And then through that progression of trust building, you get to a place where you can fire yourself from a lot of the tasks that you probably shouldn't be doing anyway, right? Prioritize it. If, if you are the guy or the gal and you value your time and you, you can pick a number, you can pick $10 an hour, you can pick a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand, you can pick whatever number you want. And then you calculate how much time you're on something and you question whether or not it's really imputing that much value to your business. And if it's not, you better find somebody else to do it because your business is going to be stuck exactly where it is until you do something else. Yeah. I love that. If I was taking notes, which I have been actually, um, but if I was taking notes on this whole thing, my notebook would be full already. (laughs) Um, It's, this has been an incredible chat. um, And I want to ask you one quick question here before we transition to the speed round, still on the line of decisions. 
and I hope the listener picks this up. It's everything you said has been really intentional. Like you felt something or you experienced something. So then therefore I then created a process or I think in now a certain way or whatever. So it's just super intentional. And I'm just really big on being intentional about what I'm doing, my calendar, the decisions I'm making. I just think intentionality is kind of the underlying piece that a lot of people just miss. Um, they just kind of go about their day. Um, and that's what leads to, to burnout, like we talked about earlier. So my question for you is this, is there a process that you have to making decisions that makes it intentional or some sort of a discipline that you follow around decision-making, trying to, you know, stay to more toward the good decisions than the bad decisions? You know, this is really interesting. So there's always a a space in between the stimulus and then what happens, what you decide to do after that. And most of us don't realize that there's a gap there, that we get the opportunity to respond versus react. If there is no space, then the reaction is, hey, this happened, I do this. Right. And that works when maybe you're in war, you're playing a sport, but in business, it's very rare that it's an emergency, right? There is some time for you to actually contemplate what you actually want to do. You have a choice, right? Come back to right. I choose. Yep. And so when the thing happens, you get to assign meaning to the thing and you get to decide what that means for you. From there, you get to make a choice on what you're going to do about it or not do about it. Right. Both are okay. Both are options. And the more that you can stay there versus having an emotional reaction to a stimulus as a dog would, the more likely you are to make a great thought out decision. And if you don't know what to do, then you extend that gap and you go seek wise counsel. Just because it happened doesn't mean you have to do something right now. I, that's that's number one. In all seriousness, if we can pause the whole show and go, wait a second, are you saying that I don't have to react immediately? Which is different than speed, right? Speed is our friend, but reactionary fire putting out is what you're talking about. It's like, oh my gosh, now it's drama and emergency in my business. That doesn't exist. So once I have that mentality, what you're saying is that there is no emergency. What that does is it gives me a level of peace, a peace. <laughs> of understanding to go, okay, now I've got a time frame. It could be two hours. It could be 20 days. I don't know what the time frame is on this decision, but I've got some time. So now that you're in that time, what do you do? You evaluate whether or not you actually, well, first assign the meaning. This happened. Okay. What does it mean? What does it mean for me? Okay. Then you evaluate, do I actually have what I need in order to make a decision on what to do next? If I have the information, then I can make the decision. If I don't, then you go seek wise counsel. Yeah. Go get and the you don't make a decision until you have wise counsel. And wise counsel is probably not going to say, hey, do this, this, and this. They're going to ask you some clarifying questions. Yep, that's right. And then with that information, you will probably be very certain on what the logical next step is. Many yeah. times these things are very much solitary instead of chess, right? It's just what's the next logical step in this sequence because I might not be able to see all of the moves, right? But right. I, I can see the next one. Yeah, 100%. And to even your point of wise counsel, whether it's a group or a friend or a mentor, a paid coach, whatever it is, that's the reason that you have those sounding boards is so that whether it's the next step or even the next seven, because sometimes they can just see it differently because they're not in the weeds like you are 
Um, and so I think that there's a huge opportunity there in that moment to really ask yourself as an entrepreneur, who do I have around myself? Because I know that I didn't like coming from a single mom family. Like I didn't have a group of super successful. I was raised in a, you know, uh, business oriented group of people. It just wasn't like that, you know? So I had to lean into friends that I grew, you know, that I, that I made along the way or mentors or other business owners that I met through networking, whatever it was. But to your point, you had to, you've got to get around wise counsel, somebody who so, can give you some perspective. If you'll allow me, I, I got this really silly metaphor, but I, I think it will really illustrate the point. And I, I'll do my best to do it in less than a minute, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Give it to us. Okay. So I'm on my way to a flight and there's deadlock on the highway. I'm in a city that I don't know very well. And so no idea really how to navigate another path to get to where I need to be. But I do know that if I stay in this gridlock, then I'm likely to miss the flight. And so I pull out my phone, which I only use when I don't know where I'm going. And I type in the address where I'm trying to go. And the navigation system reroutes me after telling me that I was not on the fastest route to get to where I want to go. The GPS had a different vantage point. They could see how long it was going to take me to get to where I wanted to go based on the path that I was on. It gave me another alternative to get to where I wanted to go, which was not the most direct route from a standpoint of distance. But when you compare travel times, they were very different. And for a lot of us, we just want to go in a straight line. We want to go the way that we already know how to go. Mm, so good. But what if somebody could give us a different option? Yeah. What if somebody could navigate us away from the traffic, away from the gridlock, even though it seems like it's out of the way to get to the place that we want to go? Yeah. They have a different vantage point. They have different information than what we have. I had no idea why the traffic jam happened and I had had no idea on how it was going to be resolved or how long it would take for it to be resolved. Yeah. But because the satellites were at a different vantage point, they could see things that I couldn't see. And and that's your wise counsel. That's your coach. That's your mastermind group. That That's your mentor. Right. hundred percent. I love the perspective, visual art that you just gave to us. Cause if you don't understand what you just said, you're going to have a hard time navigating anyway. I think maybe even a good word there, ego or stubbornness of just the person that's just like, no, this is the best way. I'm going to stay right here. It's the same spirit or mindset that keeps us in the way, like we talked about a few minutes ago, of not giving things away, not delegating because we think we're the best. No one's going to do it as good as us. I hired one time you know, before and they couldn't do it. And I had to do their job also and X, Y, Z down the road. So it just all comes from the same, the same place. Okay. We got we to gotta hustle through the speed round here. That's why I call it a speed round. I want one word answers. I might dig in a little bit though, because I'm kind of notorious for that. But Jerome, give me, give me the number one metric. If you could no, only track one in all of your businesses, the one thing that you could track that's the most important, what would it be? Yeah, net operating income. Boom. Because if you're not making money, you don't do it or? <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing, right? You're in business to do business to make without money. question. And yeah. for me... The income shows that you're paying people well, one, because there's some expenses. It shows that you're serving people well, 
right? Because the revenue is there. And so it, it brings everything together. Yeah. It brings everything together. Yeah. If you're serving people well, then you have revenue. So it goes back to our point a little bit ago. That's great. What book would you recommend that a six-figure owner read trying to get to the next level? Sizing People Up. Ooh, Robin good. Drake. Who's that by? Robin Dreek. Okay. What did you, what was the, just give us one thing from that book that you got that, that would help get some, some figures. Liking somebody does not mean you should trust them. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Got to go read that yeah. book now. <laughs> For me, uh, it, the gift of discernment is one that uh, I, I don't have. If I like you, then I tended to trust you before I read that book. And trust is all about predictability. The ability sure. to know what's going to happen if somebody's presented with these circumstances. Sure. And, you know, as, as a recovering engineer, I realized that assumptions are really important. And those assumptions give you an answer that's correct across a specific frame. Right. 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 But if you get outside of that frame, then it doesn't work. And what happens a lot of the time is you cover this person's actions with the fact that you like them. Mm. but it's not giving you the level of predictability that you need in order to move confidently in yeah. your business interactions or insert the word. But totally. that predictability is, is the game changer and allows for speed. Love it. Yes. We could, we could just, we could probably just end it there. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to go read that book. Like I love predictability. I love being able to put, put things in, in order. Um, and I think every entrepreneur needs to. So, um, last question here or not last question, second, to last question. Um, we kind of already know this from the from last little talk we had, but do you intentionally network and mastermind with other entrepreneurs? And if you do, why do you do it? Yeah, it's necessary, right? You, you grew up in a single mom household. I'm the son of a soldier and a stay at home mom, right? There weren't any multi-million dollar real estate portfolio holders coming to the cookout. There were no, million dollar business owners at my house, right? The professionals who were high six figure earners or even just call it six figure earners were my dentist, my doctor. Those were the people that I knew that made that type of money. And so I went to state schools. I went to public school throughout, you know, K through 12. And then I went to a state university. There's a different language. There's a different network. And Sometimes you have to pay to be exposed to that if you weren't put there by your ancestors, right? I mean, it's yeah. just not, it, it, it doesn't happen accidentally, right? Yeah. Most of us network based on proximity and networking sure. based on proximity leads to more of what you already got. And so yep. if you're not moving yourself into spaces and places where people of affluence are spending their time, then you're likely not to spend have a network of folks who are able to, what I'll say, move the world or eliminate yeah. friction with a phone call or two. hundred percent. Love it. Okay. Last question, Jerome, if you lost everything, it was all gone today. What would you do tomorrow? Smile. Give, <laughs> I love it. Smile. Be, give gratitude. Give, give thanks for the opportunity to build it again. Right. Yeah. I, I, I gave it all up before. Right. I, I, I was living the dream. I, ha- I had the 6,000 square foot house. I had the exotic car. I was in corporate America. I hated my life and I walked out to nothing. Right. I walked out to nothing. And so I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I did it the first time. 
And I know I can do it again because I'm way smarter than I was when I walked out and, and started from my own. And so right. I, I'd just be grateful for the opportunity. And then I make some phone calls to let people know, hey, here's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I need some wise counsel in order maybe some introductions to help me get on my way. Yeah, love that. Very good. Okay, Jerome, you've been an absolute blessing to us here today. Thank you for giving us so much value. If someone wanted to connect with you, uh, maybe they even want to uh, take a look at uh, some of your coaching or get in some of your real estate deals. How do they find you? JeromeMyers.co. All kinds of free guides there about getting into multifamily. And you can find out more about the rabbit holes related to coaching, man. Everybody should take the red pill. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I remember when that, that little picture came up when we first talked, the, the red pill. Very good. So um, thank you again so much for coming today. Um, it's, been, it's been incredible to hear your story and all the little pieces that you've given to us. Uh, we wish you nothing but success in all that you've got going on. And, and we're going to have to stay uh, in touch because I want a picture of that Lambo when you buy it. <laughs> hey, yeah, hopefully we, we can go for a ride in it too, Chaz. Thanks so much for having me, man. I look forward to hanging Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.